Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all here this day. I pray that uh, your hearts are open to what I think God uh, would like to share with us this morning. Um, I was reflecting a little bit here on um, how comfort-driven we are as creatures, as human beings. Um, Recently, we put air conditioning in our cabin, you know, and uh, now when I go up there, my goal is to keep it at like a perfect 73. I think it's a cabin. There's a lake, right? If you're hot, you go in the lake. But it's it, and everybody loves it. It's a great, it's a great addition to the to the place. Uh, but here's what where my thoughts going on all this. Because last night I came home and our, our, we have our house set a little higher, so I was warm in the middle of the night. And I uh, thought, should I get up and turn the air conditioning down? Anybody ever think that way beside me? Somebody? Nobody? Okay, you're all perfect people. Thank you for being honest. But you know what? One out. I was too tired to get out of bed. So. Uh, but I think sometimes what happens to us, if we're not careful, is uh, these comforts, like, isn't this a great environment right here? Seriously. I mean, it's kind of comfortable, right? We don't want to make you too comfortable or you're all going to sleep. Um, you know, and, and, and the visuals are great, the sound's great, you can hear everything and all that kind of thing. And pretty soon, we become focused on those kinds of things in life. They really just don't matter that much. Um, and that, even for us as a Christian community, we've got to watch out. We've got to tremendously guard ourselves that this kind of stuff isn't our concern, but our concern is people. Right? And that people know Jesus. And that, uh, uh, that that's always the dominant thing in our, in our hearts. And this all makes sense as a, as a message unfolds a little bit. But um, I just... just Spend some time this week thanking God for people and for what you have in life and see if it doesn't change your perspective on the other things in life very quickly. We're at the end of our series, Who is God? Um, and this series is preparing us for this false uh, uh, spiritual emphasis of faith. Um, faith needs to be anchored on, on who God really is, not who we think he should be or who we misconceive him to be, but faith needs to be anchored on who God uh, really is. God is big. Uh, he is a good, good father. Remember that? He is sovereign. He's holy. He's wise. He's just. He's faithful. And this morning, we're going to look at this idea that God is love. Um, and you really, if you don't anchor your faith on these kinds of realities, then your faith is anchored on something that's not sure. And it's going to become faith and faith versus faith that's authentic and then biblically uh, based. Um, so this series this summer is preparing us for what we're going to do this fall. By the way, I'm going to put a little pitch in here today. Um, this fall we're going to do uh, uh, stepping on faith in our small groups. And if you're a small group leader, I want you to do that. I want us all to be on the same page. I want us to be having this spiritual experience. I want us to be going deep in the topic of faith. What does it mean? How do I actually live it out? I want us to have common language. God blesses unity. And every now and then, the church needs to have unity. It needs to be doing one thing together so that we all kind of have this kind of commonality and we can talk about it, right? I, I don't maybe make this pitch enough, but there is blessing where there is unity. It's like the, 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 the oil that dripped from Aaron's beard onto his robe. Even there, God blessed them. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, look in the Psalms. You'll figure it out. That's your challenge for the week, okay? Unity is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And so um, if, you're, if you're in groups and you're a leader, think about that and pray about it. Um, 
And if you don't want to do it, I want you to talk to me and tell me why. How's that? That's kind of almost like a challenge. It's almost like throwing it in your face, isn't it? I'm in a mood today. This is scary. Where's my wife? You need to rein me in right now. I need to get off this platform. So I, I want to start by uh, us reading this theme verse out loud today that I think is going to encapsulate the message, I hope. It's 1 John 3, 1, and I would like you to read it out loud with me. Um, so we're going to do this together. Here we go. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love that verse because of the picture. It's not that God's stingy at all with love. It's lavished on us. It's, it's like abundant. It's like big. It's overwhelming. It's overpowering. That's the love of God. And God longs for us to see him as a father that lavishes love on his beloved children. Is that how you see God? If someone asked you, Tell me about God. Would love make the equation? Would love make the description? Sometimes I think when I talk to people, they view God as a mean-spirited being, (laughs) judgmental being, and there's fear and there's reverence, but I'm thinking, where's the love and where's the intimacy? Where's the relationship? Um, Sometimes I think we Christians fall into a trap. We're a little concerned that if we focus too much on the love of God, it'll almost be like a license for people to do anything they want and then uh, cover it with the saying, well, God loves me unconditionally. Absolutely too. But God also is a God who is just. He's also a God who is holy. That's why you need to do a complete study of God, right? To know who he is. Don't be afraid of the love of the Father. Don't be afraid to talk about it. It's not going to take you down the road of heresy if it's in balance with the holiness and the justice side of God. Amen, right? God loves you, and he wants you to know him as a God who loves you. I uh, did some internet research on this topic of love, which is always illuminating and kind of hilarious. But there there are 20 top songs uh, of all time, supposedly, that are love songs. Uh, And let me me start reading these to you and see if you know any of these, because I didn't know most of them. The first one was, Every Day I Love You. Anybody know that song? It's like in the top 20. Okay, you're just no better than I am then. A Thousand Years. Know that song, some of you? This is really, really effective. Eternal Love. I Will Always Love You. My Heart Will Go On. Some of you know that one? Finally, bingo, right? This one I knew. Close to you. By the Carpenters. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Listen to the lyrics of this baby. I mean, this will get your heart a thumping, right? Listen to this. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Just like me, they long to be. Yeah, yeah those, are, those are deep words. Let's get to the second verse. Why do stars fall down from the sky every time you walk by? Just like me, they long to be to you. One more. This is my favorite. On the day you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream come true. So they sprinkled moon dust in your hair of golden starlight in your eyes of blue. That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) I mean, I'm looking at that, but I copied it right off the web page, you know. I'm going, at least write lyrics that have verbs and 
not whatever, you know. At any rate, so I knew this one, then some other songs that are popular is My Love and You're Still the One. Everybody knows You're Still the One, right? The song, You're Still the One? Okay. Nothing's gonna change my love for you, beautiful and white. At any rate, and it occurred to me, marred as we are, I'm talking about humanity, because we're created in the image of God, there's a deep-seated longing in us to be loved. Amen? And so you see all these attempts at, at, at having this fulfilled because at the core of our creator is love. So it just makes sense if we're made in his image, what's going to be at the core of our being? A need for love and to show love because God is love. What would it be like if people loved just 50% more? What would the world be like if people loved just 50% more? Chip Ingram in his book, God as He Longs to Be Seen, uh, addressed this question uh, with a few thoughts. Let me read those to you. What if that happened at work? If everyone, believers and non-believers alike, started loving each other 50% more? But why stop there? What if everyone in the Middle East, in Central Africa, in the Balkans, in downtown Los Angeles or New York, started loving each other more? What if United Nations meetings were characterized more by productive discussions on tough issues than by contentious and personal attacks? What if political campaigns, I'm trying to say this with a state, uh, you know, straight face, what if political campaigns were filled with mutual respect rather than mudslinging? I think we'd all die, or I don't know, whatever, anyway. What if everyone in a family, at family get-togethers had the in-laws, the squeaky wheel that every family seems to have, the estranged siblings and parents actually enjoyed being together because they loved each other just a little bit more? It would be a kinder, more generous, more caring and forgiving world. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So what's the problem? Why isn't there more love? People say, I love you all the time. Why hasn't the world changed? There's a problem, of course. Everyone feels love, but we don't exactly understand it. We're very selective about uh, whom we give it to, and we're very inconsistent with it over time. When we try to describe it, we have a hard time finding the right words for it. And when it comes to God's love, the infinite, enduring, unconditional love of our Heavenly Father, we really can't relate. We always try to put it into our own human terms, and our terms fall way, way too short. I think Ingram hits on the challenge of this topic of love. We have a really difficult time conceptualizing the love of God and understanding what that really is. We really can't. Would you agree with me on that? It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our conceptualization. So what we're going to do today is look at uh, this question. What does God long for us to see about his love? We're going to look at this question. What does God long for us to see about his love? And I'm going to do this from two distinct angles. First, I'm going to talk about this idea that there really is a deep-seated need in us to, to, to understand the love of God. There's a deep need in that in, in every human being. And secondly, what in the world is it? What does God love look like a little bit so that we can begin to truly start uh, experiencing it? Um, get this, this is point number one. We're gonna talk on the need side first. People are looking for love. People are looking for love. The music I just shared with you has as a general thematic uh, thrust this idea that people are looking for love. 
I know some of the songs are super silly, but at the core of what they're seeking is love. Um, no matter what your cultural background, your family background, your religious background, at the core of your being is this need to belong and be loved and to be valued. That's a universal need uh, of the human uh, race. Young children deprived of love, young children deprived of affection will have all sorts of detachment issues. Amen? When they get older, because they haven't experienced love. So there's this kind of universal longing for love. Now, here's point number two. There is a universal answer to this quest. There is a universal answer to this quest. Um, if there's a universal need, there's probably a universal answer. Uh, the problem is enormous, though, first of all, right? Would you agree with me? The problem is enormous when you start looking at it from a whole human race standpoint. The problem is enormous. It's too big for pat human answers. It's too big uh, for human solutions. The only solution is God. Only God is powerful enough, sufficient enough to meet this need of humanity. The God who knit you together, the God who knew you in your mother's womb, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he is the only one capable of meeting this universal need of love. Now consider this with me. There is a tragic disconnect. There is a tragic disconnect between the need and the answer. It's just tragic. On the one hand, you have six billion people, right, who are in need of love. On the other hand, you have a God fully capable of meeting that need. But the average person, I, I guarantee you, the average person is not experiencing this love, right? So there's this tragic disconnect between the need and the solution. Have you ever looked at it that way? Chip Ingram, in his book, stated this connection this way. I, I, I like what he says here. Listen to this. Imagine a vast crowd representing the entire population of the globe. North America, South America, Africa, Asia, Europe, um, you know, and on and on we could go. They're all gathered in one place, standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, their basic needs are being met, air, food, and water. Now imagine that instead of oceans and lakes being filled with water, they're brimming with liquid love. Every stream, every pond, every river holds it, while countless multitudes stand oblivious to it. The depths of love, plentiful and ready for the taking, are within its reach, but somehow there's no connection between the need and the supply. That is the world's predicament. And this should bother you and me a lot. It should disturb our hearts because we, of all people, should know about the love of the Father, amen? And this should just be, to us, a tragedy. And at times, we should weep, we should mourn at this tragic disconnect of most of humanity, that they're not experiencing the ocean of love available in God the Father. They just need to step into it and experience it. And I, I, I wanna talk to us for a few moments this morning. Because I think for some of us, conceptually, we know about the love of the Father. But it's like we're standing on the seashore and we're never stepping into the waves. We just have head knowledge, but we're not experiencing it. And for some of us, we've taken dips into the water, right? 
but now we're kind of back on the beach and we're kind of dry. And God's saying, come into my love and let me just lavish it upon you. Uh, the other day, um, I was up at the lake. I'm not always up at the lake. It sounds like I am. Just the last couple of weeks I've been up there. And um, I was mowing the yard. It was Thursday. And it was a hot, muggy day like it normally is up there. And so I'm mowing this yard and then um, doing some spraying and some stuff like that uh, around and trying to reduce the Minnesota, Minnesota mosquito, which is just an act of futility. At any rate, so I get all done. What do you think I did? I'm hot. I'm full of grass. I feel cruddy. I'm the only one up there right now. I look at that water and I said, I'm coming to you. I just tore off my shoes and I, didn't, I left my shirt on because it was dirty. It needed to be washed anyway. This is how I wash clothes when I'm at the lake. Swimming them, they're sort of clean. At least they're not sweaty. And just, it was so good. So refreshing. And I just swam around for about 20 minutes, you know. And then I thought, well, I got a few other things I need to get done today, but this was really good, you know. And it's like God has this ocean of love. It's ample in its supply. It's bigger than the need. And we got all these people standing there on the shore, not jumping into the water. Are you one of them? Because if God's love fills you at times, it'll just bust you apart. It'll burn in your heart. At times, you'll just tear up because the love of the Father is that great in you. It's just lavished on you. It's overwhelming at times. And I want to encourage you today, uh, and I, have a, I call it the love challenge. Take an 18-inch needed dirty. And what I mean by that is when it comes to the love of God, it needs to move from concepts and information and understanding down to the heart and have an experience. It needs to move down here, and it needs to become something that grips you, that you're immersed in, that uh, you're just getting wet from it, from head to toe. And so today, as we go through the message, I don't want you just to be satisfied with information, okay? I want you to be gripped by the love of God. I want it to be a reality to you, all right? So that's the first angle I'm talking about now when it comes to the love of God. Now let's talk more on the information side, but I'm also going to just throw a lot more uh, thought into it than that, so just uh, be prepared. But let me give you just some definitions here, kind of get this out of the way, but I think it's important, okay? Um, let's try to define God's love just a little bit. I'm going to use a summary by Chip Ingram. It's really a summary of A.W. Tozer and J.I. Packer. So it's a lot of information, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is great, but it's a starting point. Listen to what they say. God's love is his holy disposition towards all that he has created that compels him to express unconditional affection and selective correction to provide the highest quality of existence, both now and forever, for its optic of love. All right? Let's move on to uh, love, uh, and I'm going to get a little more biblical and look at it, uh, what we're talking about. We're talking about agape love here this morning. Um, in the Bible, you will see love 
uh, in your New Testament, but it's translated from three different Greek words, agape, phleo, and eros. And, and the, what we're talking about today is agape, which is this unconditional, uh, sacrificial, boundless love of God. Um, of course, you know, phileo love is like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's love of the body, and then uh, eros love is that romantic, sexual love. We're not talking on those today. We're talking on the, the, the agape love of God. And here's why I can say it's giving, sacrificial, unconditional, and boundless, because we're told about uh, those qualities of it in the Bible. In John 3.16, we're told about the sacrificial, unconditional aspect uh, of the love of God. You know this verse, John 3.16, right? It's at every football game you ever watch, but the camera quickly scoots away from it anymore so you don't see it. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave, sacrificial, it's giving, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever means it's unconditional. So it's giving, sacrificial, unconditional. And it's boundless. Listen to Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So it's boundless. So the love of God is giving, sacrificial, unconditional, and boundless. And that, that's good and it's descriptive, but I want to get even more intentional in talking about uh, the love of God with you. I'm going to talk about uh, five angles to get when it comes to the love of God. All right, so this will help us get a little bit bigger picture of what it means that God loves us. First of all, this is angle number one. God's intentions towards you are for your good. God's intentions to you are for your good. I'm gonna give you a little coaching right now. I, I, I want some participation from you as we go throughout the rest of the message. At the end of each one of these points, I'm gonna say, God is love, and you're gonna respond back to me, God is love. So you can stay a little bit involved with what's going on here this morning, but I also want you really to begin to speak to yourself this truth. God is love. God is love, okay? So you really get it by the end of the message. So when I prompt you, you respond back to me. After we do it one time, you're smart people. You'll figure out the rhythm of this thing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future, James 1.17 says it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven and the lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So when God thinks of you, beloved, it is for your good. God has good intentions towards you because he is a God of love. No matter how the situation appears to you, God intends it for good because he is a God of love. God is love, you say. Second angle is this. God is kind, open, approachable, and is your friend, and is your friend. John 15, verses 13 through 15 tell us this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Every time I hear that song, you know, I am a friend of God, I pause and think, what is, yeah, that's significant. And why am I a friend of God? Because he loves me. 
And he's made that possible. And what is it about friendship that appeals to me so much? Well, what about friends uh, make them special? They're open, they're kind, they're approachable, they're considerate, they want to converse with you, right? They want to hang with you. That's God, amen? Why is God like that? Because he is love. God is love. Angle three, God is willing to identify with you. God is willing to identify with you. In John chapter 11, the story is told of Lazarus and his being raised from the dead. Um, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister and, uh, sisters, sent for Jesus uh, to inform him that his, his beloved friend Lazarus was, was really sick and come and heal him. Well, Jesus didn't get there until Lazarus had uh, passed away. And when he gets there, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But all the people are crying and, 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 and weeping because Lazarus has, has died, and we're told simply that Jesus wept. Why? Because he felt the pain and the suffering of other human beings. Why? Because he identifies with them. Our God's not distant and removed. He's intimate and close because he's a God of love. He didn't create us uh, because he doesn't want to have a relationship with us. He created us because he wants to be intimate and close to us because he is a God of love. God is love. Angle number four, he takes pleasure in you for who you are. He takes pleasure in you for who you are. You know, I love my six kids simply because they're my kids. They've done nothing to earn that love other than to be part of the clan. I have 12 grandkids. Guess what? I love them. Some of them are tough to love. But I love them. You know what I'm saying, right? I, I mean, I just really do genuinely care about them. Right now we have little Sammy. He's three years old. He is crazy. He does not stop. And he just goes 100 miles an hour, and I love his enthusiasm. I just get tired of chasing him around. But I still love him, and he hasn't done anything. In fact, I enjoy him like crazy. Um, why do we think, then, when it comes to God, that we have to earn his favor? Why do we think it's because of what we do that he loves us? He loves us because he's what? Created us. He's our heavenly father. He loves us simply because of who we are, not what we've done. He takes pleasure in us simply because of who we are. And I know, I know, I know all of you because I'm one of you. We struggle as Americans with that concept because in this country, in this culture, so much of favor resides in performance. Throw that out the window. When it comes to God, you are loved simply because he is God and you are you. Amen? You do nothing to earn that. Just like you love your little baby and you're made in the image of God, and I think that's a God thing. When you have that kid, they've done nothing. They poop and they eat. For the first couple years, yeah, that, well, true, right? You know, I tell you, I'm going to go here where I shouldn't go. When we got our last kid potty trained, I danced. And I ran around the house, no more poopy diapers, no more poopy diapers. I hate those things. My wife said, we never change them anyway. She's right. I tried to do anything I could not to change a booby diaper. God is love. So here's angle number five, even though it's a summary. <laughs> Otherwise, someone will say, you know, you said there's five angles. You only have four points. This is the fifth one. God is aware and cares. He's not removed and unaware of your life. 
He's not a cosmic clockmaker who wound up the universe, got her going, and stepped out of the picture. He is sovereign over the affairs of his creation, and he expresses his love constantly. He loves you. God is love. So what do you do with this love of God? What do you do now? Okay, we talked about that it is a need. We talked about what it looks like a little bit. What do you do with this love of God? Well, here's what you do. You believe and receive the love of God. You believe and receive the love of God. Sometimes we read verses like John 3, 16. It's like a Valentine's uh, Day card. We just kind of read it, and it kind of goes in and out. We think, oh, how sweet. Uh-uh. It's something to be believed and grabbed a hold of. Um, God's love is sufficient. God's love is like an ocean. There's ample supply. You, you know, you have to sometimes be overwhelmed with the understanding of how wide and long and deep and all that kind of thing God's love is. Sometimes it needs to grip your men- mental f- uh, you know, faculties to the point where you go, wow, I can't even grip this thing. I can't even think about it. Believe that God loves you. And then it needs to take its 18-inch journey. And you need to receive it. You need, to, you need to begin to experience it in your heart. It needs to burn within you. There should be times when you feel the love of God so strongly in you that you tear up, that you can't contain it, that it just flows out of you. It just burns in your inner person so brightly because God is love, and when you begin to experience God, it's not just a concept. It is something that just overwhelms you and engulfs you and embraces you, Amen. Sometimes I get asked, well, how does that become a reality to receive it? Well, I have three suggestions for you. I think this will help to get it to move from here to here. First of all, saturate your mind with this truth that God loves you. Just begin to saturate your mind. In fact, let's do a little bit of that exercise this morning. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 out loud together. Read it with me, please. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Do you believe it? Are you receiving it? Is it making its way down here? You know, sometimes I have things said to me or things are done, and you can begin to kind of go, oh, ouch, right? or that hurt, or what's going on here, and you can begin to say, well, maybe I'm not very good at what I do, or maybe, you know what I mean, you get the dings. You have anybody get the dings in life beside me? You know what I think of? That scripture. God, nothing, not myself, not others, not circumstances, can ever separate me from your love that's in Christ Jesus. I am your child simply because that's who you made me to be. And it just brings great comfort. You have to bring it into yourself. Sometimes I tell people, speak it to yourself, man. Don't just think it. Don't read it. Say it out loud. Be careful who's around you. They may think you're going nuts, but that's okay. This morning I I couldn't sleep, and I went to the scale, which I should never do. And I weighed myself and I said, are you kidding? I just spent a week trying to keep up with Dave Hopewell. How did I gain four pounds? That can't be right. You know, so you know what I was doing at six o'clock this morning? I was running. 
So I thought, I'm going to go for a run. I can't sleep anyway. But you know what I did while I was running? Prayed. And it's all right to pray out loud when you're running. People just think you're stupid or something. I don't know. Don't worry about it. But I just, I thought, well, this is a good time to pray for today, for you, for the Holy Spirit to move here, for the love of God to be reality. You know, all these, throw all these stereotype things out. Prayer, prayer is meant to be relational intimacy with God. And it could take so many forms. Running, weightlifting, you're in the car. When that guy cuts you off, you can pray for them, right? Oh, God, bring heaping coals of vengeance on No, anyway, you know, <laughs> not that kind of prayer, but you follow what I'm saying, okay. Second way to move it from here down to here is ask God to help you grasp his love. I want to read a prayer over you today. So you can bow your head, you can hold your hands out like this, or you can just stare at me. I don't care. All right, but I'm going to read this to you and receive it as a word of the Lord over you today that help you to grasp his love. Listen to this. It's from Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. I just pray the Lord quickens us. Give us the ability to begin to grasp just a little bit of this love that you have for us. Make it a reality. You know, begin to, begin to understand that God wants you to grasp that. And lastly, listen to this. This is point three. Refuse cheap substitutes for God's love. Just refuse them. It seems like so many people look for love in all the wrong places. We think a mate will make us feel love. We think, you know, a spouse should do something for us that only God can do for us. We easily set our affections on stuff, on cars and salaries and money and, you know, a great lawn or whatever. I have a sprinkler system in my yard. I'm beginning to think that's a curse. That thing hasn't been working, so I decided this year it will work. So I've been replacing all the parts. And recently I've been going, why do I care about this yard? And I thought, maybe I should just plant dandelions. They thrive. Nothing you do kills those suckers, you know what I mean? Just plant the whole yard with dandelions. Who comes up with these rules? You ever get like that? I'm tired of yard work, can you tell? And I fertilized my yard last night. I thought, oh, no, now I'm just going to have to mow more. Anyway, anyway, um, at some point, we can get so caught up in life, we forget what life's all about. Life's about God and being in love with God. Life's about all of you loving on each other. Amen? That's life. You can do the other things. I like to do yard work because every now and then, I've had people fullness to hear. I can't take people. I just want to look at grass. And that's okay to understand yourself and be self-aware. But you know what? Watch out for cheap substitutes. John admonishes us uh, concerning this very topic in, in, in 1 John 2, 15-16, where he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Watch out for cheap substitutes. 
So we're done with our series, Who is God? And now we're gonna enter into a time of communion. And as we do that, I want you to reflect on what we've been looking at for the last 10 weeks. Who is God? Well, he's big. Right? He's big. Who is God? He's a good, good father. Who is God? He's just. Who is God? He's holy. Who is God? He's all wise. Who is God? He's faithful. Even when we're not faithful. Who is God? It's love. It's spiritual to be in love with God and to receive the love of God. Because he wants to pour that love out on you. It's not selfish. It's not narcissistic to say, I have a heavenly father that loves me. It's the reality we're to experience. It's something that should anchor your soul to him, amen? You have this father in heaven who loves you unconditionally, simply because of who he is and simply because he's created you. Most of the world has not stepped into that ocean of love and it's just simply tragic. So today, as we enter into this time of communion, I want all these thoughts to be rattling around in your mind. Listen to this invitation. You who are walking in fellowship with God, in love and harmony with your neighbors, and who do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and are leading a new life in Jesus Christ, following the commands of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near now with faith, take this holy sacrament to your comfort, and meekly make your humble confession to Almighty God. We serve here at Grace Point what is called Open Communion. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in love with God, you're welcome to partake. The, the lower sections, you're going to walk up and just take the elements from the table nearest to you, okay? And if you're in the back, you can go to the rear side of the church in the middle sections and grab from there. Upstairs, you'll be served by the ushers. Um, I ask that you hold the elements till everybody has received and will partake together. If you have a gluten issue of some sort, the tray right in front of me is gluten-free wafers for your use. So in a few moments when, we, when I finish here um, consecrating the elements, then you're welcome to begin to come and take uh, and hold until we partake together. Uh, the praise team will be singing a song and you're welcome to sing along with them or just to meditate on some of the things I've shared with you this morning about who God is. Um, listen to this prayer. Would you bow your heads, please? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in mercy you gave us your only Son, Jesus Christ to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. Accept our praise, we beseech you. We thank you for your love, for the gift of your son, for the sacrifice he's made on our behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our hearts, for the present witness of your Holy Spirit to our hearts that we are your children. Grant that as we receive this bread and this juice in memory of Christ's death and suffering in communion with you and with your children, we be made partakers of his body and his blood. In your name, Jesus, amen.